Amen. All right, let's go ahead and pray before we jump into more of this. Father, we come to you this morning. Uh, this election is nuts. Uh, we have no idea where you are in all of this stuff, but we ask that you would continue to show us through the Scriptures and by your Spirit exactly how we are to follow your Son and our King. We declare that for us, only Jesus. For us, only Jesus. And everyone says, Amen. All right, so we are on to week three here of our uh, Politics of Jesus series. We haven't really offended everyone yet, okay, so that's good. Um, If you haven't been, you know, hey, it's your chance today, right? Please don't forget, uh, we will have communion available here on Tuesday, okay? So uh, when you guys leave work to go vote, uh, if you desire to come here before or after, the church will be open from 9.30 to 3.30. We'll have communion and, you know, some, some worship on it, and, and uh, just the idea is to come and to recenter. Well, with all the angst and the fear and frustration that, that comes with, with voting and politics and with this world, it's important for us to recenter ourselves in Christ, amen? So please come and... Uh, Enjoy that. We've been having some caveats before we jump into the, the actual sermon each week. Here's the first one. Remember this. You do not need to fully agree with me, okay? It's important that in this whole thing that you just trust my intentions, okay? You don't have to even agree with my teaching. The idea is not that you come out of this, you know, with the same ideas that I do. The heart of this is that we would all be open to allow the Scriptures to mess with us. Because what happens is it's the Scripture's job to come into our thinking, into our actions, and to to continue to challenge us to align ourselves with Christ. And so what happens in the Scriptures is often we find ourselves looking over the areas and the passages that kind of challenge the way that we see God, that kind of challenge the way that we see the world. And so I encourage you guys to allow the Scriptures to mess with you in this series. Also, it's important for you to speak up, okay? We will have uh, one last kind of coffee to talk over uh, uh, Jesus and politics. We'll do that not this week, but the following week as we end the series. But if you have questions that we have not answered, which, by the way, there should be a ton of them, I encourage you to fill them out on the cards, uh, which you guys have. Actually, I don't even think we have those anymore. Find a way to get your questions to me. We all have Facebook, right? If you don't have Facebook, you have a mouth and feet. Come find me and ask me the questions you have. We have one more week, and so if your questions have not been answered, I'll try to kind of slip them into our last week next week. Agreed? Okay. I mean, the hog's the one, and you got an extra hour of sleep. What else do you want? Okay, good. Do you want... I have kids too, thank you very much. No, it did not happen. We have this alarm clock, and the kids are now learning that you cannot leave the room until the alarm clock tells you so. So that has been a blessing from heaven. So what happens is, yes, they wake up, and they make a, you know, a mess in the room, and they almost break everything in the room, but you know what? We get the extra hour of sleep, so it's worth it. Uh, last thing for you guys, uh, it's important for us to remember in, in this series that the heart that we have to have is to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, okay? That's uh, Ephesians 4, verse 1. And so just remember as we go into this, we are trying to each week to bring it from a big picture, okay? So what's the Scripture say? 
What do we see in Christ? And then we're slowly bringing it back down to more of a practical level. Okay, so what does all this stuff mean for you? What does this stuff mean in the voting booth when no one's around? So we're getting closer. So that means today we're going to talk about some even more touchy, more personal things. Are you excited? All right. Well, here we go. All right. So we've covered this so far. Okay, we, we understand now that the gospel of Jesus takes place in a very political environment. And, and most importantly, it's, it's important for us to remember that almost everyone around Jesus was pushing and pressuring and expecting Jesus to make a difference. Okay, hey, you have the power to change the world, Jesus. Do it. And so everyone had their different ideas of how Jesus was supposed to do it. And of course, what happens with Jesus is he does not choose any of those options. He chooses a third option. If you guys are taking notes, we're talking about voting third party. Some of you guys are very excited. Some of you guys are terrified about what we're about to talk about. I'm not talking... Some third party candidates have very interesting slogans that I will not bring them up right now. One person got it. Awesome. Really? No one else gets... Okay, that's probably for the best, right? Rough start already. So we find this out, okay, that Jesus, you know, his move is, it's beyond political, but most importantly, it's frustrating. Because what's happening with Jesus is, again, he's being expected. Jesus, there's death, there's oppression, there's issues, there's injustice. Come and make a practical change. Come in and, and change this situation. And, of course, he chooses this alternate route. And the fact that he goes and he chooses to shed his own blood, and he, he does not shed the blood of his enemy or the powers that be, it, it confuses everyone around. And so, be, and so last week we talked about what does it mean you know, to have a nation? What do the Scriptures tell us uh, you know, the purpose of a nation is? In Romans 13, we see that the reason a nation exists is they are the temporary source of order in the world. Okay, so what happens with nations? And nations, all nations, exist to do one thing, to wield the sword. Exciting, right? And so it's the nation's job to wield the sword to keep order because we understand that when man is over man, the only way for man to, to ensure that another man does what he wants is to, is to what? Force them. And so we see that, that in this fallen world where there's death and there's brokenness and darkness and pain and violence and lust, the only way to keep everyone from killing each other is to kill some. Isn't that encouraging? And so the order and the peace that we enjoy as Americans, it comes at a cost, right? In order for someone to be safe, someone else has to be unsafe. In order for someone to have money, someone else has to not have money. In order for someone to protect their borders, other people have to be kept out of the borders, right? And so what's happening in this is that we see that in this fallen world, the entire system is broken. There's no way for everyone to be taken care of at the same time. And ultimately, the picture we see of this is the sword. And so we see that God allows nations to exist temporarily to enforce this order on the earth. But we see that what Jesus came to do was not to endorse a nation or a sword or the system. He came to, to, to shed light and to explain to the world that there is a new rule, a new way, a new order which is coming. And if you would choose to be a part of this nation, of this people, of this kingdom, 
when you come underneath the, the reign of this king, of Jesus, things don't operate the same way. Things are different. Because in the kingdom of heaven, this king lays down his life. In the world, the king takes the life of another. In the kingdom of heaven, we live for each other. So we live selflessly to love our neighbors, to love our enemies. So our entire life is to lay down ourselves to lift each other up. In this world, our entire life is to protect our own and to get our own and to make sure that we get ahead. Sound familiar? Yes. Now these are all things that have been ingrained in us. Hey, it's important for you to get your education. It's important for you to have savings. It's important for you to do this, this, and this. And again, the idea is you have to take care of yourself. You have to find a way to get yourself and your family and the people close to you to be safe and to put borders and a fence around them and to make sure you are okay. But there's a problem with this, right? This is nowhere in the Scriptures. In following Jesus, we see the exact opposite. We're called to seek first the kingdom and then we're given this promise. We're given this promise that if we seek the kingdom, if we live in this way to where we put everyone first, to where we trust God to protect us, not anyone else to protect us, it's going to put us in harm's way. It's going to mean that we're going to have question marks about where the income comes and, 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 and to how we have a roof you know, over our heads. But the promise is if you live this way that is contrary to the world, there is a promise in there, and that's that God will meet your needs. If you would live underneath the rule of Jesus where you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your king and you live this contrary lifestyle, it's going to put you in a place of danger, but you're going to be in danger with a promise. The promise is that your God will be with you. Amen still? So we've learned that so far. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go to Philippians 3.18. As we're flipping there, I just want to say this. We ended last week with a very kind of a, you know, important, powerful idea. We have to remember as Christians that we are Christians first, and then we, we are Americans, or we're Germans, or we're Russians. We are first citizens of a separate nation. And in, in the Scriptures, we see that in, in Romans 13, uh, the Apostle Paul explains to us the role of nations, but in Romans 12, he sets us up in, in this contrasting style. In Romans 12, he teaches us that, that Christians are to not take upon vengeance. We are not to venge ourselves. We are to entrust it to God. And then he explains that when we trust it to God, when we step away from the resources of the world, then there's someone else who comes to take vengeance. And so what he's saying is that nations have this purpose, but that purpose of a nation is not your purpose. You understand this. The church is the only vehicle, the primary vehicle in the Scriptures where God is going to reveal His kingdom. It is not a nation's job to embody our king because they have their own king. Our job as the church is to embody our kingdom and our king, and it will look drastically different than everything else on the earth. And so what we see here, we even see in... in, uh, First Peter, we see this idea where he calls us a holy nation. And he says, you are not from them. You are separate. You are a holy nation. And, and the word holy means fully devoted to. It doesn't mean that we're holy in the sense that we just kind of pull ourselves away from society. It means that we, that we pull away from other things because we are fully devoted into this other nation, into this other purpose, into this other world. There's a lot to talk about this morning. We haven't even 
We haven't even started the notes yet. Okay, you guys, are, you guys can't wait. Philippians 3.18. Here's what it says, okay? For as I have often told you before now, I tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Pause right there. Now, to be, to be an adversary to the cross of Christ means that it's not that you just hate the cross. It means that you are living in a way that is contrary to it. It means that you're going this way and the cross is going this way. The cross is telling you that to be followers of Jesus, to bear His cross, means that we are living in a way that, that, that truly causes us to die every day, that, truly, that, that, that puts us underneath the value and the good of everyone else. And so to be, a, to be in contrast, to be opposing the, the cross of Christ, means that we are living in such a way that is the opposite of the cross of Christ. And what that means is this, when we live for ourselves, when we seek not the good of others, but we seek evil for others, we find ourselves in opposition to the cross of Christ. Does that make sense? And he says here, and he says, you know, what, what's happening in this process, he's saying that what's happening here is that this is happening because their minds are set on earthly things. They're viewing things from the wrong perspective. Now, here's why. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our, our bodies so that we will take upon the glory of His body. It's a very hard thing for us to understand. He says that your citizenship, your rights, your focus, your duty is in a different place. What do you feel about that? What thoughts does that bring to you when it states that you have to, to begin to change your mindset, to view the world in a different light because your citizenship, you are from, you represent, you love a different place. Your loyalties lie somewhere else. Here's an example. When the Razorbacks play anyone, I don't care who they are, right? Who am I for? Exactly. And who am I against? Anyone else on the other side, right? Here's what happens here. When my ultimate allegiance lies in Christ and in His kingdom, I am always on this side and I am always against anyone on the other side. But here's the word kind of inverse on the understanding. Who does Christ treat as His enemy? As people who, who, are, who are told clearly to, to love God, to love neighbor, to love enemy. If we're to live in a way to put every one of these people, including those who oppose us, if, we're, if we are told directly that to follow Jesus is to take my enemy and to say, I value your well-being more than myself, how can I be against anyone? It's almost like this. Um, it's almost like you should be a good person, right? But when your child is fighting with another child, who are you rooting for? Be honest, right? I mean, you have a side. You know, it's like, yes, you know, I, you know, 
We love everyone. Hands up, hands up, you know. Come on, get them. Undercut. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, yes, we don't want our kids to ever fight, but if they're in a fight, we have a side, right? What's different when both of your kids are fighting? Here's one thing that you have to understand. To be a citizen of heaven, to be a follower of Jesus, means that, that, that we have both dogs in the fight at all times. What it means is we are always on the side of everyone. Because to, be, to have the perspective of heaven, the, the, the perspective of Jesus, means that everyone is my brother and my sister, regardless. Maybe not in sports, but everywhere else. So what this means is this, and let this bother you a little bit. When you see the news and it says, we lost a troop. There's a U.S. Marine who died in this place. Then it goes on and says, 620 Al-Qaeda, you know, blah, 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 were bombed yesterday. We have a dog on both sides. That should be troubling for your brain. Because I am first a Christian, and then I am an American. I am first a citizen of heaven. I view this world from the perspective of God, who every single person is his child. Whether they're walking you know, to obey him or not. This is frustrating. This is troubling. This should bother you a little bit. And we have to understand is that this is exactly the way the Jews viewed Jesus. They did not understand why do you waste your time with all of these people who are not your people. And the one thing he says in John 18 is he says, they are not with me, speaking of the Jews. The ones that they believed, hey, Jesus, these are your people. You should be on their side. Why aren't you helping them? And he says, they aren't on my side. And I'm not on your side. I have my own side. And I see things differently than everyone else does. And the challenge for you as a Christian is to continue to wrestle with the struggle of having to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus first in all things. It does not mean that you don't have the right to be you know, emotionally you know, tied, if, if you would, to, to the country and the place which you've grown up in. You know, when my kid gets in a fight with someone else, I'm still going to naturally go, get him, son. Or daughter now. She's pretty feisty. But what I have to do is I have to wrestle with myself. No, these are both mine. Does that make sense to you a little bit? This is not something that just happens for us. It's something that takes practice, and it takes, it takes wrestling. And I use that word every Sunday. That is what spiritual maturity is. It's a constant struggle to wrestle with your old mindset, your old behaviors, your old habits, your old you know, tendencies, and continue to conform yourself into the image of Christ by grace, through the Spirit, and the Scriptures. But the one part that we are responsible for is being willing. The Holy Spirit in you, the Scriptures cannot, cannot force you to say, yes, Lord, your will be done. Only you can. 
Having fun yet? And so we understand here, we understand that we are first citizens of heaven. And in the scriptures, they call us some really interesting things in the scriptures. The first thing is um, in 2 Corinthians 5, we see it calls us the ambassadors of Christ. Now, to be an ambassador means that you speak for a sovereign. Okay, so that there is a nation or a people or a king that you are speaking for. This is a very difficult thing for us to begin to understand. And so what this means is that, say if we had the ambassador from Denmark, okay? The way that, you know, he or she might live here, might have a home here, they might, you know, really enjoy it here, but their primary purpose is to embody and to speak for another place. Yes, they're here with us, but they are from another place. And when it comes to their lives, everything about their lives and their duty is to speak for, amen, and to embody (laughs) a separate place. And so what happens in this is very simple. It's just, it's continually having to adjust again the way that we see and the way that we interact with the world. We are first ambassadors of Christ. You know, as an American, you have the right to say whatever you want to say. Agreed? Trust me. I know who believes that. I've seen your Facebooks. Okay. Come on, let's be honest here. Okay. Break my amendment rights, right? Okay. When you are, if you begin to understand yourself as an ambassador of Christ, meaning everything you say and do is going to represent your king and your kingdom, that right goes down the toilet, my friend. Trust me, I love messing with people. It's one of my favorite things to do. And sometimes I mess up on the stage and I do it too much, okay? I love to just poke at people. Facebook would be my favorite hobby if I wasn't a pastor or a Christian, for that matter. I just love to just, oh, yeah, so what about this? And just see people flip out on me. Actually, it's bad. It's really bad, but it's so fun. It really is. And so I have to control myself every single week when I see you guys on Facebook. I'm just like, okay, bless them, Lord, bless them. I'm going to just keep scrolling, right? Because again, I don't have that freedom anymore. I've had to check it at the door. And as we grow in Christ, our understandings of what it means to, to walk as a Christian has to grow with us. Secondly, the Scriptures call us this. They call us aliens in a foreign land. You guys have your Bibles, go to 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. If you see that right there. The Apostle Peter is outlining to us who the holy nation of God is. Now understand, this is a dramatic statement for Peter. He has always understand, uh, he's always understood that the holy nation of God was Israel. His entire life, his, you know, all the generations leading up to him have been waiting for God to show up to restore his people, his holy nation, Israel. And so for him to say this is a very questionable thing, especially the fact he's not just speaking to Jews, he's now speaking to Gentiles as well. He says, you're a chosen people, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his, his wonderful light. Once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. Stop right there. 
once you were not a people. He's saying that you used to have your identity from all these other peoples and nations and places. But you understand, when you decided to take on a new king, a new sovereign, you came underneath a new covering. You are now part of a new thing. And this new thing is God's chosen people. Once you had, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, um, some translations there will say aliens. The idea is that we are to behave in this place as exiles, as foreigners. You could have lived here your entire life, but the moment that you took on the kingship of Christ over yourself, you now speak and represent from another place. This is no longer your home in the way that you once saw it as. This is a hard thing for us to swallow. Very hard. We now, it's as if, I mean, and again on Facebook, I've seen this sometimes too, after people say, well, if so-and-so wins the election, I'm moving to Canada. Right? Who's got their plane tickets ready? Because Tuesday's coming fast, right? You know, what's happening here? It's as if that you have chosen to forego your citizen rights in this nation to become a citizen of Canada. You've flown your family, your money, your, you know, blah, 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 and is now safe and secure in a different land. And now, when you're in this place, you're behaving as a citizen from that place. You're a foreigner. And I'll just stop there with that, but it goes on to tell us, you know, how, you know, how as foreigners we are to behave. And, and what it says here is it says that, you know, even though we're foreigners, since we represent the kingdom, we must begin to live in such a way that it brings honor to God. So, you know, in essence, we are to submit to all the authorities, we're to contribute. We should be the best citizens in this nation because of the fact that our citizenship is somewhere else. If that makes sense to you. How you feeling? They don't have a countdown for me today, so uh, if I go half an hour over, I'm, I'm sorry. Just going to happen. I go long anyway, and they make fun of me, so it's okay. One of the other things is, is, is here is that Scriptures call us soldiers. Now, that word can be misunderstood a lot, but, you know, the Apostle Paul is trying to explain the way that we behave in this life. And in, uh, what is this, uh, 2 Timothy 2, he goes on to explain that in the same way that a soldier, he doesn't get involved in civilian affairs. He has orders, has a commander, he has a mission. You know, he doesn't have time to waste time with all this other junk that goes on that civilians worry about. And the context here is he's saying, hey, you don't have time to get caught up in what everyone else around you is caught up in because you have orders, soldier. You must stay focused. And the context of this as well is understanding that as soldiers, we're not here to bring force and order. We're here as what? Peacemakers. And we're soldiers who have this focus and purpose to, to be the bringers of justice and peace under the order of Christ. And anything else that begins to distract us from that is that it's purely a distraction from our orders. And we must stay focused on serving the King and representing the kingdom of heaven on the earth. That is our number one focus as citizens of heaven. 
Now, for everyone who's having a hard time with this, let's talk about the other side. Now, we have to be real and honest, right? We are citizens of heaven, but we're also citizens here on the earth, correct? Okay. We happen to live in a nation, and because of that nation, we have certain rights. Now, you know, if we're in you know, other nations, that might not be the case. We have the opportunity to understand ourselves as citizens of heaven and of, of earth, of, of heaven and also of America. Here's the question for us. How do these things blend? How does this work, Devin? You're telling us we're exiles, we're missionaries, you know, ambassadors, soldiers, all that stuff. But what does that really mean? Because we live here, you know, I appreciate this nation. I love this nation. I've been here forever. I mean, because of the fact that we have roots here, okay, it, it means that we are, the way that we see the world has been influenced by this place. We have, we have culture, we have perspective and loyalties in this place. So what's it look like when these two worlds collide? If you're taking notes, here's one thing that's important for you to understand. You have to understand this. These two worlds will collide daily. If you were here last week, I hope that you understood this. We have a place to understand that nations have a place by God. Not all nations are equal. Some nations operate with more godly values than others. But nations are still nations and kingdom is still kingdom. They are distinctly separate. And you must understand that. If you do not understand that the kingdom of God is supposed to be manifested in the world through the church, not through any nation, then you will have trouble with this every day of your life. And your nation and your loyalties to this nation will be a constant distraction from your call and your purpose as a citizen of heaven. But, but, if you are able to separate the two, to understand that this is the kingdom of God and this is my nation, they're not the same things, now you are ready to begin figuring out how you can be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of America. Did you catch that? If you can make that separation and understand this is the kingdom and the king is Jesus, here is a nation and it has an entirely different king. If you can separate the two, now you are ready to begin figuring out how to engage as a citizen of heaven who is also a citizen of America. Are you with me? If you're not willing to make the heart struggle and the mind struggle to separate the two in the Scriptures, it will always be an idol for you. You will always be frustrated. You will always be mad. You will always be expecting a nation to be the church, and it will never ever be because that's not the will of God. But once you begin to understand that the two are separate and they have very different purposes, now you're ready to be a light in the place where God's planted you. Amen? Not so sure yet. It's okay. What happens here is this. Matthew 22, if you guys have your Bibles, what happens when the allegiance that we have to the kingdom and the allegiance that we have to a nation meet? What happens when they begin to butt heads? How do we interact with this? Uh, Matthew 22 is a very interesting passage here with Jesus. Now, we talked about the context of Jesus. We talked about how 
everyone was always trying to sort him out. They were always trying to figure out whose side are you on? Are you voting blue or, or are you voting red? Okay, stay with me. Like, they're truly trying to figure this out. Whose side is Jesus on? So I thought that they had the perfect question for him. And so uh, here goes in Scripture. It says, So the Pharisees went out, laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent one to him. And what happened here is they said, uh, We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. So tell us then, what is your opinion? Again, whose side are you on? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now pause. Understand this. Here's what this is. Do you believe in pro-choice or are you pro-life? Makes sense? No? Yes, that makes sense. It is a line in the sand question. You're either on this side or you're on that side. Understood? Come on, wake up. Yes. Okay. This is how they saw it. Now, most of the sects here uh, with the Jews understood that there had to be some kind of a passive resistance okay, to the reign of Caesar. And so what's going on here is the question is, are you supporting the reign of Caesar or are you opposing it? Okay. And so here's what goes on here. And, 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 and so he says this. He says, but Jesus, uh, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him one, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Now, understand this. On the one side of the coin, you had the image of Caesar. Now, it's, it's, it's a fun study, but you have to understand that with the Jews... They understood that all images of man were not images of man. These were images of God because God made man in whose image? In God's image. And so for Jews, you would never see a, a, a human face or a body or you know, any kind of inscription you know, on an item. It was uh, blasphemy, if you would. And so what's going on here is this. And so he says... They said Caesar's. And so here's his answer. He says, so give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, and to God's what is God's. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, understand that this coin is Caesar's. It has his, his face. It has his, uh, his mark on it. It has his image on it. And so he has ownership over this. But what he was also saying was, but you give to God what has his mark. What has his image on it? What has the image of God on it? Every one of you. And what he was saying there is he's saying this. You have to understand that you need to submit to these authorities. And again, his, his message was a lot more complex because context. But he's saying, yes, Caesar has authority. He has right. The, the taxes pay him. But when these allegiances collide, understand this. You give to God what has his image on it. And that's yourself. There's only one person who has a claim to you and to your life, and that is Christ. Don't turn that into some kind of a you know, spiritualized heavenly thing. Oh, well, you know, he's my Savior, I go to heaven. That's on the earth as well. The only thing, kingdom person you should be living for 
putting your hope in is the one whose image you bear, which is God. When these worlds collide, our ultimate allegiance is to God. But understand this, when these worlds do not collide, we are in absolute submission and in honor and respect to the governing powers who are over us. Do you understand that? Again, we should be the best citizens you know, on the earth because we operate in such a way of honor and respect and investment we love and we care for and all these different things. But when the two butt heads, there's no question over the place where our allegiance has to lie. Amen? Now, let's get into some nitty-gritty, if you would. So, what will collide is this. The values of the kingdom of heaven, the mission of the kingdom of heaven, is in stark contrast to the mission and the values of all nations on the earth. The values of the, uh, of the kingdom of heaven, to be a citizen of the kingdom, the amendments, the, the bylaws of the kingdom of heaven are simple. To be, to be inside this kingdom, we must do one thing. The allegiance goes to our king. We confess Jesus as Lord. And because that, we follow him into loving God with all things, into loving our neighbor with our whole heart, into loving our enemy with our whole heart. Does that sound like any other nation on the earth? No. Because a nation must do what? A nation must, must take care of itself. It must protect its interests, its assets, its economy, its people, its territory. A nation must take care of itself. A nation fundamentally must put itself first. And so the places where the kingdom of God and, and the nation we live in, the places where it will often collide is in this arena. As citizens of heaven, we have to live putting others first in all things, but yet as citizens of this nation, they have responsibility. The president, the, the Congress, so on and so forth, their purpose is to protect this nation, and that's what they will continue to do. But your purpose is to live selflessly for everyone else, and that's what you must continue to do. And so the places where the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth will collide is in these values and in this mission. So here's the thing, though. Again, as we continue to understand that we're called to follow Jesus in all things first, the question continues to arise. Well, we're still called to be a light. We still need to be, to be advocates and to bring life into this nation, into these people. It's okay for us to honor and to respect, to acknowledge the good and amazing things about America. It's good for us to acknowledge those things. And again, we should have such respect and honor for this country that you know, everyone else notice. But... When it comes to engaging, when it comes to voting, um, when it comes to serving the armed forces, when it comes to, to uh, your taxes, okay, when it comes to all these things, here are some questions that you need to ask yourself. And again, you have to understand this. You can have two allegiances, but your one allegiance must come first. That's all we're saying here. When you feel led to engage in this nation, in this agenda, in these people, Here's questions you have to ask yourself. And these questions are, are meant to, to test us, to make sure that we're not putting our allegiance to this nation over our allegiance to Christ. Because again, as long as we're not doing that, we are free to, to invest and to pour into this nation, but we have to make sure we're not doing it at the cost of our allegiance and being an ambassador of Christ. Amen? Here's the first question for you guys. Is this compromising my love 
of neighbor and enemy. Think about that right there. Is this choice endangering or is it compromising? Is it, is it forcing me to give up the most basic aspect of carrying my cross as I follow after Christ? Now, understand this. The reason I'm giving you questions, the reason I'm not telling you what to do, I'm not telling you here's what all Christians do is this. This is an area that every believer who follows Jesus must wrestle with on their own. And your answer might be very different than mine, and that's absolutely okay. Here's the point. The point is this. You must be willing to check your heart. Amen? Anything that comes in conflict with Christ that we're not willing to let go of is an idol and it is sin. It's called rebellion in the Scriptures. The root of all sin is rebellion. To resist, to push back to God. So so that first question is this. For me to engage in this thing, whether, you know, whatever it is, to take office or, you know, blah, 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 blah. For me to engage at a... I think you can tell I don't want to go into these questions anymore. Uh, but that's okay. For me to engage as a citizen of heaven in America, is it compromising my ability to love my neighbor and my enemy? Second question. What kind of spiritual fruit is it producing in me? I want to pause right there. Most of you who are the most passionate when it comes to politics have to ask yourself this question. What is this passion? What is this focus? What is taking this side producing in me? Is this the Spirit of Christ at work in me? The same Spirit who's called me to be a minister of reconciliation, meaning as I follow Jesus, that means in all things God is working through me to bring people together. What fruit is being produced by participating in this way? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, fear, hate, anger, division, slander, violence even. What spirit is at work here? Is it Christ or is it not? And do not be confused. You can call it righteous indignation all you want to. Does it look like the cross? If your answer is no, you need to step back. It doesn't matter what kind of justification you have. The problem is this. On this issue, with the people who I see who have allowed this thing to take them farther and farther away from Christ, they always come back at me with some kind of a logical argument. They never come back at me with Scriptures. Ever. Well, you know, Jesus and the cross, really? Try that argument out. Because Jesus would post that video promise you. Here's the third thing. In engaging and doing this thing, whatever it is, have I begun to put my hope in a man or in a system over Jesus? Because you know, if this person is president, the whole world's going to crap. But if this person's present, he's going to change everything. Glory, hallelujah. Jesus is going to come in in his chariot and everything's going to be perfect. 
Really? Do you really believe that? Either way, I don't care what side you are on, do you really believe that? Read some history. Not going to happen. Or, or even better, some Scripture. Not going to happen. And again, this, the engagement, voting, supporting one side or the other, that is not what is wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. It's how we do it. One of the most dangerous things about this is that when we begin to engage, it, it leads, it sets these dominoes off which begin to fall. And when I think this person's bad and this person's good, all of a sudden I find myself on a side and I'm against anyone who disagrees with me. And as these disagreements get stronger and stronger, and as I'm so convinced that this person is good and this one's bad, it begins to breed certain things in me. It becomes important to me. I begin to tie my hope and my aspirations, and and I begin to tie fear to someone else. And the moment that that begins to happen, I begin to operate and live in such a way that looks nothing like Jesus. Nothing like Jesus. Here's the fourth question. Is this distracting me from building the kingdom of God? Understand, remember, your first purpose is to be ambassadors of the kingdom. Are you, is this taking you in such a way to where you are distracted? Is, is, is trying to vote for a pro-life or a pro-choice person beginning to distract you from actually doing a thing about hurting people and about lives being lost? Have you stepped up to, to adopt, to foster? Have you gone down to those, to those clinics to offer to pay bills, to offer to, to feed them, to clothe them, to be with them in their pain? Have you, have you been so distracted by this by putting the weight and responsibility of, of the kingdom of God on a nation that you are distracted from doing anything about it yourself? One of the dangers about voting is that we shift all the responsibility onto other people. Again, it's not that you can't vote. You have to begin to evaluate how is this affecting the way that you live and embody the kingdom of God. Here's the fifth question. Am I expecting a nation to do the church's work? I'm not saying that the answer to this is clear. I'm saying that this is, this is a difficult question we must ask ourselves. If you've spent more time on Facebook trying, or on your phones or at work trying to lobby for one stance or another to change an issue, a social issue or abortion or anything like it is, or war, if you spent more time trying to affect that situation and to affect those hurting people through the government or, or, or through judges or through a presidential candidate than actually going out and doing it yourself as an ambassador of Christ, you've missed the gospel. Jesus never asked Caesar to do a single thing about injustice. He didn't go to Herod and complain. He embodied every single solution. He went to every single hurt. He went to every single need. And he explained to them, I am here to change this. Here's the last question for us. As ambassadors of Christ, can I endorse this? I'm not saying, can you endorse 50% 50% of the candidate or their policies. I'm not saying, you know, can you endorse 80%. I'm saying, as an ambassador of Christ, speaking for the kingdom of God, can I say, Jesus says yes to this. Your ultimate responsibility is to embody the alternative. As Christians, we are to live, if you would, to vote 
third part of the alternative. We are to show the world, hey, look, here is how things are supposed to run. Here's how things are supposed to look. And it's not going to be taking place in a system or a government. It takes place in your home. It takes place in your relationships, in your marriages. Everywhere that we touch, people should look and say, I want things to work like that. I want my marriage to work like that. It's not perfect, but I see the way that they treat each other. (laughs) The way they they trust each other. They communicate. They get over disappointments and hurts. I want to be like that church. Have you been there before? Those people are all different, all different colors, different. I mean, they don't agree on anything but Jesus. How How do they get along? The world is to look at us and say, that's the way things are supposed to be. And what happens is we begin to to divide ourselves and to operate just like the world does in violence and anger and fear over debating the way that a nation should run. Because of that, we're so divided and distracted that we're too busy with that crap to embody the kingdom of God to the earth. Sorry if that offends you, but it's crap. And the Apostle Paul had an even stronger word for it, by the way. We have to, you know, read the Greek. But you can engage. You can have a love for this nation. You can, you can participate, but you have to understand your purpose and your role in the world. I am firmly, my first allegiance to Christ, my first responsibility is to embody the kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And everything I do is to look like Jesus. And it sounds complicated, but it starts simple. I live my life to love my neighbor and to love my enemy. And that is proof that I love my God. That's what it looks like. And all these things that we fight about, they compromise the fundamental proof that we're followers of Jesus. The moment you stop walking in love with anyone, the one proof we have to the world that God is real, the way that we love each other, is stolen from us. 